The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. We are in the middle of Pudge Drive, so if you have a donation that you would like to make, 949-824-5824, a $35 pledge, that's really cheap and you can get a premium. I know the Classical Station was in Pledge Break just about three weeks ago, and I think they were 75 for their minimum. So 949-824-5824 gets you swag. It gets you a KUCI t-shirt, a a record, a CD, anything of your choosing. Premium list is available online as well at KUCI.org. Midway through the show, I'll have an amazing reason to donate to KUCI, just like I just did. Plus, we'll look at more uh, news that's uh, from this morning. And then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson. He'll join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, but first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the blogger behind fillthe-schemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Good morning, Heather. Uh, good morning. As the old saying goes, elections have consequences. What are the consequences have been set in place for the Phoenix Coyotes and San Diego Chargers? Um, well, we've got new mayors in San Diego and Glendale, and neither of them seem all that excited about throwing a whole lot of money at the local teams. Um, so yeah. that could be a significant change. Um, you know, San Diego, obviously, this thing's been going on forever, um, and it's not like the project was moving forward at appreciable speed. You know, there was no, nobody identified a funding source. They still weren't sure about where to put the stadium. Um, so this is just sort of another another uh, obstacle in the in the path of this. Um, with the Coyotes, you've got this deal that is, you know, all but signed off on, where the city will give a whole lot of money to this new owner of the team, um, who apparently will still probably be losing money even with massive subsidies. But wow. hey, that's the NHL for you. Um, and uh, the the new mayor is making noise about um, pulling back from that, but. Um, it's you know he he's not going to take uh, office until I think January anyway so and it's possible they can put put this through before that but uh, you know again it's the NHL so things could drag out for another five years or we may never have an NHL season again you never know that might be a consequence um, so so that's what's going on and then uh, there's there's been a few or a few votes on election day too that. Uh, you know, one knocking down a minor league stadium and uh, not not knocking down, excuse me, shoot, shooting down plans for a minor league stadium in uh, in North Carolina, and then uh, El Paso approved uh, some money for the stadium they've been planning there. So, it, it it's nothing major happening. And you know, again, even new mayors being elected and saying that they hate stadiums happens all the time. I remember back in the day when. Um, the uh, they were talking about moving the Expos to Washington to become the Nationals the first time, and three new council members had just been elected, who were uh, all saying they were opposed to put, giving them public money for a stadium, and so they said, "Okay, oh, we got to rush this through. We got to push this through before these guys take office." And you know, they pushed it through before December, and then it turned out more votes were necessary the next year, and I think all those guys <laughs> wound up voting for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, it's it's very popular to say I'm against giving public money, public tax money to sports teams because, you know, it sounds great. Um, but when push comes to shove, finding elected officials who will actually um, refuse to do that and not find a way of backing out of it, that's a little more difficult. Yeah, in the Chargers case, the newly elected mayor, Bob Filner, is stating that any stadium deal with the Chargers might include uh, the city taking partial ownership of the team. Uh, does the NFL bylaws permit this? Because if memory serves me correct, the NFL wanted to prevent another Green Bay Packers scenario. 
You are absolutely correct. The NFL bylaws do not permit uh, any public ownership of a team, um, or even any uh, Packers-style sort of you know public publicly held private nonprofit. Um, so there there is pretty much no chance on earth that that's going to happen. Um, you know, he can then say, okay, we won't give you any money. Um, but uh, then we're sort of back to the original standoff, and you know, people making noise about are they going to move to Los Angeles to this, you know, to this stadium that also isn't getting built in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the um, oh, I'm, yeah. I was just going to say one of the things I don't know if you're hearing it because you're in the Brooklyn area, but. Uh, 1090 San Diego Sports Station does migrate up here, and they're always talking about losing the Chargers and the NFL stadiums of Dundee in LA. And it, it it seems it seems like they've already letting they've let go of the Chargers as a franchise. And and I think it was the way they talk about it. I think the hosts on 1090 want people to presume that NFL is happening in LA, and it doesn't have a box so that an NFL stadium in San Diego can kind of get approved. It's like the balancing yeah, well, I mean, act, yeah. I'm sure, certainly it works to the Chargers' advantage, right? I mean, yeah. that's what, then it works to everybody's advantage to be th- thinking there's going to be a, a stadium in L.A. I mean, you know, the latest thing was the Carolina Panthers owner this weekend uh, issuing a statement saying, I have... I, I really want to stay in North Carolina. The last thing I want is to move to L.A. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, clearly he does want to stay in, in North Carolina, all things being equal. Um, but he's also looking for money for a new stadium, or not a new stadium, but looking for money to you know massively renovate the current stadium there. Yeah. Um, so it, it it never hurts. I mean, what everybody said when Los Angeles started talking about building NFL stadiums is, okay, here comes the new you know what Washington D.C. and Tampa Bay were for baseball. Yeah. You know, the city that everybody's going to you know hold up as a threat um, in order to shake down their local uh, elected officials. And sure enough, here we go. Yeah. In Sacramento news, uh, in Sacramento Kings news, the Maloose or somebody down the structural chain decided it would be a great idea to cut corners and hang plastic tarps over old ads at the arena. One of those tarps fell down during a game, and ESPN reported this failure of the tape as, quote, while Sacramento's aging arena might be falling apart, the Kings managed to hold things together in their home opener. This reminds me of the candlestick uh Park when the lights turned off in the middle of Monday Night Football a couple times, and then the press was whining that it was an embarrassment for the city, and Candle Park suck or Candlestick sucks. And instead of, you know, it's been a while since the 49ers were good enough for Monday Night Football, the electrical system might have not been heavily used for, in 10 years. Um, why is the media's position preset in most cases to build rather than critical thinking and asking more questions like, do we need a stadium? Yeah, I have to say I'm really glad that I'm a human being and not a stadium because otherwise every reference to me would be how I was aging and crumbling. Um, <laughs> After 20 years, too. Anything, yeah, anyone, anyone over the age of about 15 or 20, I think, would end up, uh, would end up, you know, oh, you know, he was he was state of the art in his time, but now, um, or he can end up ugly like Barclays Center. Yeah. Um, the, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, there's a couple things. One is, obviously, it's the, the message that the team owners are putting out, right? Anything yeah. that's not brand new is therefore old, is therefore aging. Um, and it's the worst possible thing in the world. Um, you know, uh, even when they write about places like, you know, whatever, Fenway Park or in Wrigley Field, it'll still be sort of the aging but beloved, you know? <laughs> As if it's like your, your, you know, your 95-year-old great-grandmother. Um, and 
so that's one problem. I mean, you know, it's 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 not necessarily true. Certainly, structurally, it's not true that um, steel buildings, especially, yeah. mostly steel, do not. You know, they age extremely well if you maintain them at all. Um, so that's one problem. I think another problem is you know the perspective of most of the people doing the writing when it's sports writers. You know, their main experience of the game. Um, you know, isn't from an architectural perspective. It isn't even from a fan perspective. It's, you know, how snazzy is the press box? Exactly. And I'm sure that they go to all the other, you know, stadiums, and they're like, wow, you know, look at the sushi bar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We should have one of those. And so, you know, to them, uh, you know, they're to some degree looking at it from the same perspective of the owners, which isn't, do we need a new one, or is the old one perfectly okay? But wow, wouldn't it be cool if we had something like they do in other cities, and we didn't have to pay for it? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think that's that's two of the big reasons. Um, but it's extremely frustrating to see, you know, inevitably any stadium that's more than thirty, and even really more that's more than twenty years old now, is sort of being described as. Uh, as you know, on its last legs. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like like suddenly Logan's Run has taken over sports. <laughs> yeah, um, if the Falcons are successful in replacing the twenty-year-old Georgia Dome with a new stadium, besides the usual costs associated with construction, what are some of the other benefits for the um, Falcons for leaving the Georgia Dome? Yeah, well, previously the mayor had said, well, oh, by the way, we might have to spend $350 million on uh, land and infrastructure around the stadium, which kind of raised some eyebrows. And then he quickly backed away from that and said, no, 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 it would be $350 million on all kinds of land and infrastructure, and only part of that would be for the stadium. But he didn't say what part. Um, The other thing that's now coming out is that um, one of the reasons the Falcons want a new stadium is because they would control all of the revenue from it, whereas currently they share some with the state. Um, they would also take on all operating costs, but you know there have been some estimates that, 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 that this would be a big boon for them. Obviously, if there's a lot more money going to them rather than the state, that's a lot less money going to the state rather than them, and that would then be a, be a hidden cost. Yeah. Um, and then this came out the same day that, uh, that uh, word came out that uh, uh, Judith Grant Long's new book, um, she's an uh, urban planner at Harvard who's done absolutely the best studies of uh, uh, the actual costs of, of sports stadiums and arenas, you know, in term, in, including not just upfront construction costs, but tax breaks and lease breaks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so her book is finally out, um, and uh, I haven't gotten it yet, but very excited to see it because, you know, the initial work that she did, you know, just listing charts of every single stadium and that at actual cost to the public um, is just stunning. Yeah, you were mentioning that on your blog that her new book is out, um, Judith Grant Long. How does her work dovetail with yours? Um, I think very well. I've, you know, I've spoken with her a whole bunch, and, and um, you know, she, like I said, she got into this in a really weird way. She was trying to establish um, how local officials, again, she's an urban planner, so she was trying to figure out how local officials um, determine, you know, make decisions on which stadium deals to pursue and whether or not they are making good decisions and which cities are making good decisions. And she realized, oh, gee, you know, if I'm going to be evaluating them on whether they make good decisions, I need to see which stadiums are good deals, and which they, or at least which stadiums are better deals compared to other ones. So she started looking at the literature 
and realized that nobody was doing this work of figuring out what the actual costs were. It was all just, you know, who's paying what share of construction costs, but all these sort of hidden, you know, subsidies weren't getting counted. So she did this paper called Full Count where she sat down and got the leases. I, mean, I don't know how long it took her, but she got the leases for every uh, sports team and sat down and poured through them and figured out, um, you know, what the costs were, including down to estimating what the increased, like, you know, police and fire costs would be of, uh, of uh, you know, having, having services for a game. Um, and came out with this probably close to 10 years ago and ever since then has been working on uh, on this book version of it, which every time she keeps almost coming out with it, she's like, oh, wait, I have to update it again because it's insane. <laughs> so I'm glad that it finally happened. I thought from Rutledge it has a very long and ponderous title, which is Public-Private Partnerships for Major League Sports Facilities. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's going to be an invaluable resource for uh, for people like me because, you know, again, she's the first place that I saw things like the fact that the Minneapolis Metrodome, which had always been derided as, oh, you know, the public paid for all of that, that was actually a fantastic deal because the Twins and the Vikings ended up paying enough back in rent and shared revenues that the state got paid back. Yeah. Um, whereas there are, you know, other cases of, of uh, stadiums and arenas that were, um, you know, that looked good on the surface but wound up being being crappy deals. So anyway, I'm very, I'm very excited to get my hands on this. Has her work, has she noticed that the amount of good deals have dwindled in recent years? Yeah, um, she's saying that they're getting worse. I think the last number I saw was that, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but that um, in recent years the amount of hidden costs added 40% to the, on average to the, to the, uh, to the you know, the sticker price of yeah. stadiums, and that, that was increasing. Um, which isn't surprising because you're seeing that, you know, as the public is more critical of, you know, just direct public subsidies, um, you know, teams have to find ways of sort of hiding the uh, hiding the subsidy. So it's going to be more stuff on the back end and less on the on the front end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, that's that's something I hope to see. I mean, she's she's testified before Congress. She's uh, you know, um, kind of hopefully getting a little bit more of a of a public uh, profile on this because she's really one of the one of the experts on this stuff. Yeah, uh, going back to the theme of um, the Georgia Dome and and uh, the Atlanta Journal Constitution interviewed Frank Poe, who is the director of uh, the w- w- Georgia World Congress Center Authority, which is kind of their sports director of the greater Georgia area. Do you think he was even trying with that interview? Because I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess he was just sort of like, oh, you know, it's really not it's public money, but it's hotel money, and it doesn't really, really cost us anything because we can't spend it on uh, schools anyway. And, uh, you know, it's, you could play the World Cup there maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 at this point, I'm sure he's got his talking points down, and, you know, this is what he feels like is the best case he can make. Um, they haven't really started the serious public scrutiny of the deal in Atlanta, which hopefully will happen um, at that point when people, usually what happens with the stadium playbook, I guess I should say, is people hammer on one message, right? Which yeah. is, oh, it's really free money or something like that until 
somebody starts uh, complaining, well, no, actually, it's not, starts investigating it, and then they say, well, okay, but wait, but the team will never be competitive until we get they get a new stadium, you know? And then people counter that, and then they say, but the team will move, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's usually how it works, um, is that it, it's more of a reactive thing. So, you know, I mean, it, it, we're st- I, I think, you know, from what I've seen in the last 15 years of watching this stuff, I think that we're still pretty early in the game in Atlanta, um, in that there's a lot of a lot of squabbling left over exactly who's going to pay for this and how. Um, the other possibility is that you know the the uh, stadium authority down there um, can actually get this through without having any public votes. Yeah, they don't didn't think they could the last time this was discussed, but you know it's, a, it's something I'd like to do. And if that's the case, then he's probably just putting out a you know boilerplate message because he doesn't care. Because, you know, it doesn't matter really what readers of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution think because he can just sign off on it and build a stadium and then everybody will be, you know, the people yeah. who are happy about it will be happy about it and the people who grumble about it will be grumbled about it, but it won't matter because it's, it's done. Yeah. The one thing, thing I want to bring up one more about uh, Judith Grant Long is, is uh, since she did testify in front of Congress and Elizabeth Warren was just elected in Boston and there's rumors that she's already going to be on the Finance Committee in Congress, is a Bond Act of 1986 that makes a lot of sports uh, stadiums possible, is that going to be revisited possibly in this Congress? Wow, that's an excellent question. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I mean, you know, obviously you have the problem that it's going to be hard to do any sort of major reforms right now with the House and Senate under, under different control. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, previous to this, it was really Dennis Kucinich in, in the House who was, who was pushing on this, uh, on this issue. Um, if Warren could take that up as an issue, and it certainly seems right in her wheelhouse, um, you know, a matter of trying to trying to cut really stupid tax breaks for <laughs> schemes that weren't even intended in the first place, um, and just wound up being this loophole that was written into the '86 law, and you know, nobody's managed to get it out. Um, that that would be fantastic. Um, I guess we will we will wait and see. Yeah, we'll cross our fingers with that one. Uh, Neil DeMoss is our regular guest on the Heather McCoy Show. His blog, his excellent blog, is updated almost every day and is found at fieldofschemes.com. Thanks for being on the show once again. We'll talk to you next week. Until next week. Until next week. This is the Heather McCoy Show.